It's a Thursday. It's the last day in August. And finally, today, this morning, was the day that uh, the Celtics and Cavs had a deadline to figure out what was going on with this trade. My name is Matt Rury. This is Careless Whispers. Calvin Chamberlain, hello. They announced it last night. The trade is final. Hello, Ray. How do you feel? Uh, I mean, how do you feel? I I feel pretty much the same as I felt before. I mean, it's interesting that they figured it out. Oh, that's how you feel. You're back. I feel. I, I feel good. I feel. I'm. I'm happy about this. I'm happy with it. It, it, went, it went through. It went through. That's good. It's a good thing. So, like, I guess my question first is, is not so much how do you feel now, but how did you feel uh, when it was first reported that this trade might not go through? Hmm. What about the notion that like Isaiah and Jay Crowder might have come back to the Celtics? Uh, I saw a photo on the internet of Jay Crowder already working out in Cleveland Cavaliers gear. <laughs> Yeah, which is like really, really speaks to the loyalty of the NBA. But uh, not that it's his fault. I mean, he he got traded, but he was immediately ready to go move on to the next team. Uh, put that put that fresh new gear on, start practicing. Yeah, I think yeah, he was so- ready to go. I think he was ready to leave Boston in general. I don't think that he likes that he's liked the Boston experience as much as people may think he has, just because he's played well and he's improved each year and he's had a great coach and he works for a good organization, et cetera. I don't think that he likes the fans in Boston, quite frankly. That's my personal opinion. I'm not getting, I mean, I just gather that from the interactions that he's had through social media. So maybe it's overblown, but the bottom line is I think Crowder was ready to go. So had that trade gotten rescinded or had Cleveland vetoed the trade because of Isaiah's hip, I would have looked for Danny Ainge to try and flip Drake, Jay Crowder for something else and keep Isaiah Thomas on the back burner and see what happens uh, as he, as he sort of got healthy from his hip injury and take it from there and, and probably hope that the Celtics are in good shape and that he can push them over the top to make a decent playoff run and then reassess going into next season. So I, I feel like, the Celtics ceiling is much higher now that the trade has officially gone through, but had it fallen apart, I think they could have made something decent out of it. So you don't think it would have been a, I, I don't know that I agree with that. I feel like had this trade fallen through first and, and first of all, I, I think it's apparent that there was a little danger of the, of the trade falling through considering what the, uh, what the Celtics ended up giving up in this situation. But, which we can talk about in a second, but um, oh. yeah, I, I, I think had had this trade fallen through, which like you know people were talking like it was a, le- a legitimate uh, danger of that happening, I'm I'm not sure how you do go back so easily, because like you said about Jay Crowder, that's fine, but Isaiah Thomas is Isaiah Thomas, you know what I mean? He's like a, a hot-headed loyal guy. Um, I'm not saying obviously he's a professional; he's going to play for his contract. But I do think it might have been difficult for him to come back from that from after that point. Difficult, but yes. I guess, yeah. Emotionally, for and, sure. But, like, and and I guess yeah. what I what I I didn't articulate in my like drawn out uh, intro there is that while he's injured and while he's not really playing, Danny Ainge has plenty of time to try and mend that relationship, and I, and I think that 
uh, at that point, Isaiah would realize that, that it is a business and, and that the Celtics do like him for what he is and that it would probably even make him want to be even better. So I, I, I do think it would work out. It would have worked out had the trade not gone through with Isaiah, not with Crowder. Okay, so so the reason the trade, uh, you know, had complications or apparently didn't go through, uh, by all accounts, was that Cleveland felt like Boston misrepresented the extent of Isaiah's injury. Not that, you know, obviously they told him that he was injured, uh, but, like, from Cleveland's perspective, Isaiah Thomas is way more injured than than, uh, than Boston let on. Do you do you think that you buy that, or do you think there's some sort of gamesmanship to that? Because I I would be concerned about Isaiah. That's the other thing about him coming back. Like, do you kind of feel like maybe he is a little more injured than he's than he's acting? I know he's sort of out there putting out out there like he's going to be fine. Um, I wouldn't expect anything else from him. Obviously, he's a competitive guy. He is a an emotional guy. Like he doesn't want to think about the the, the possibility that his no. season, you know, might might be in jeopardy. But is, do you put any stock into that notion at all, or do you think it's all Cleveland just trying to work their way into a bigger piece? Yeah, listen, maybe I, I'm wearing the green goggles here, but uh, and there are people making the argument that since the Celtics gave up something and didn't take the hard stance that they are implicating themselves as needing to give that extra piece up. Uh, but I don't buy that either. So the whole notion that the Celtics are giving up something, giving up something because they didn't tell the whole truth or whatever. I don't buy it because the thing they gave up is very minimal at best. It's a second round pick three years from now for a team who is going to try to be a playoff team. Okay, Miami is not tanking. The Miami Heat want to win. Their franchise wants to win. Pat Riley wants to win. Eric Spolstra wants to win. Whiteside, maybe not so much tragic, but those guys want to win down there in Miami. So so the point is that in three years, that second-round pick is not necessarily going to be anything special. So to me, this is just Cleveland demanding something else to try and save a little face because of the public reaction to taking on a injured player. And maybe they got, maybe they have a different opinion of, of the injury. Fine. That, that's, that's all well and good. But to take something this small, it just sort of seems shady because they made a big stink out of it without even calling the Celtics. Supposedly they went through Adrian Wojnarowski instead of actually calling the Celtics and trying to talk to Danny Ainge about it. And then a week later, they they settle on this. I don't know, Calvin. I think that it's it's uh, it's shadiness from Cleveland. It's poor negotiation skills from Cle- Cleveland. And from the Danny Ainge perspective, I'm not trying to say that he was he told the whole 100% truth, but I would tend to believe him more in this one. And also think that the fact that they just threw in this late second or this second round pick from 2020 to me, means that he he just wanted the player. They wanted Kyrie Irving bad enough that they were going to throw in this minimal extra piece, and they were probably prepared to do so. They just didn't do it initially. I mean, look, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with, with some of what you said. I, I definitely am not in the camp that uh, the Celtics giving up this, this second-round pick in 2020 is some sort of con- concession that Cleveland was right about the extent of Isaiah's injury. I think that just just the fact that one, like I, I, I think that 
they may have they, there there may be something to uh you know Isaiah's injury being to a greater extent than than Cleveland wanted because not not because the the Celtics misrepresented themselves but I think it's more like I I, I you just look at like the way Danny Ainge says that uh I like he just came right out and said Isaiah Thomas's health factors into the trade and you know like and sometimes team doc, team doctors uh, look at injuries differently. He said, there's, "There's no question that he's injured. There's no question that Boston, you know, told Cleveland that he's injured. But like, just because one doctor sees one thing and another doctor sees another thing doesn't mean the Celtics misrepresented themselves. And I, I think the notion that like the Celtics gave gave up a 2020 uh, second round pick for Miami. First of all, it doesn't even ma- it doesn't matter if Miami. Who knows who's going to be good in 2020 anyway? But it doesn't matter if Miami is good or not in 2020 because it's a second round." Miami's not going to be the best team in the league. So the difference between, you know, the difference between, like, the 47th pick and, like, the 54th pick, it's it's basically irrelevant. Still a crapshoot, yes. Yeah, it's a crapshoot. It's a a second-round pick. It's not not going to be a top-five second-round pick, and and it's three years from now. So it's it's the equivalent of giving up nothing, essentially. You look at the Celtics treasure trove of assets, the the things that were being reported originally that that, that Cleveland was going to try to – squeeze out uh, Jalen Brown or, or Tatum out of this to, to like start start over in, in Boston wasn't going to budge on that Can you imagine the, the controversy in Boston if they managed to squeeze out a, a, a Jalen Brown out of this situation or even you know but the point is is like this the Celtics have so many different types of assets it didn't even need to be that if this was a legitimate thing if if Cleveland was really like thinking about backing out of the deal or if you know, Boston really felt okay. Well, we try to get one over on them, and they caught us. We need to we need to make this right. They could have easily thrown in, you know, the, the Memphis or the Clippers pick. Like that wouldn't have been the end of the world for Boston, considering what they have. But like, but no, it wasn't even one of their second round picks in the next two. Years. They literally gave up the 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 least important asset that the Celtics could have possibly given up. And it it seems to me like it's it's sort of. Uh, one of those situations where, like, the Celtics weren't actually were not going to budge, but they just sort of threw that pick in so Cleveland could save a little bit of face, right? I mean, Cle- Cleveland can't feel great about getting this 2022nd round pick. It's really just, hey, hey, you know what? I, I I know you can't go back to David Griffin with literally nothing, so we'll give we'll give you the smallest token. We'll give you uh, a, a quarter to get your homeless guy. That's, yeah, that's basically what this entire process feels like. So if yeah, if I'm a Celtics fan, so, I, so I, I think do you think that that's, like do you think that that is Danny Ainge sort of saying, you know what, rookie GM, here's a little something like take this little piece of bread back to back to your your parents, or like what, I, or is is it really the fact that Cleveland was saying, listen, we need more and we're demanding more, and you're not, we're gonna, and Ainge actually did not call their bluff as much as people think he did and said, all right, if you're really going to pull the plug on the deal, we want Kyrie Irving. We're, we're going to give you something. How about this? And then just started listing off things until they agreed. Uh, definitely the former more than the latter, because what do you, what, I think so that's too. my point is, is what things would they be listing off that were less valuable than what they actually gave up? You know what I mean? Like what does not much have their, their own, their it? own pick uh, this year or next year or the year after, or 2020, their own pick would be less valuable. That's about it. Their own, their own second round pick, but I, yes. I would argue not yes. even that. 
because I, obviously the, you'd rather have the Celtics first round pick, but I'd also I'd, I'd rather have the Celtics second round pick next year than have to wait three years for a second round yeah, pick. Yeah, that's true. Because who knows? Who knows how many spaces are on my roster? It's not worth it waiting that long for a second round pick, or even a first. Like the farther you go away, even even a first round pick, you know, I if, if you're telling me I can have the Celtics first round pick next year or Miami's first round pick three years so, from now. In, in theory, yeah, the Miami's pick is probably worse than the Celtics' first-round pick next year. But, like, if I'm a GM, who knows if I have a job by then? Who knows? Like, so maybe But you know what that is, selling, though. That's, that's, just, that's just one more piece. And this is what Danny Ainge does. And that's what he's done over the past 10 years, right, is accumulate assets. No matter how small they are, he, he just piles them up. And if he uses them on a player and then that player does not sign with the team or, or he's just gone after a, 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 a year – then so be it. But th- maybe that's what Cleveland was looking at this thing as, as now they can take that pick and another pick and a player and flip it for something else. Maybe that's what they're trying to start to do over there. And they're starting small. Maybe. maybe. I mean, I will, I will say this so for, for them over there. I mean, this whole, this whole thing really crystallizes more than anything else. The notion that like Cleveland made this trade for the Brooklyn pick, right? They did, like I don't think they made this trade to, with the idea of running Seems back Isaiah way. Thomas in Cleveland. Like and, I, I think. The, okay, so the, how do you the, feel I, about that? How do you feel about that? Because I am still convinced that the Brooklyn pick is not going to be as great as people think it's going to be. Yeah, I can't. Like, even adjusting for for thinking that, I think that at at worst that's still a top ten pick. At worst. Yeah, so, I think so too. Right. Yeah. I'm with you there. So, but it's so, not I am not convinced it's top five, but it's probably a top ten. Well it, it it could it could easily be top five. I'm not I'm not ruling out top five, but, but what I'm saying is is if you're Cleveland here a worst case scenario and you're and you you think LeBron is going to leave and it it is funny how they, it still hasn't, you know, been dis- determined, but I guess uh reports are that Dan Gilbert thinks that LeBron's gonna leave. I don't I don't know if LeBron's gonna leave. I mean he's probably gonna leave. But, like, it hasn't been confirmed one way or the other, and they probably don't actually want to ask him because he has a no trade anyway, right? So what, what's the advantage of asking LeBron if he wants to leave, making him mad, maybe increasing maybe, – maybe there's a chance he doesn't want to leave. But what, what's the point of asking him when he says he's not going to leave Cleveland no matter what this year anyway, right? He's, he's playing out that contract. So there's no way to get anything trade value-wise. You might as well just, like, not ask him at all hope that he ends up like somehow repairing his relationship with people, likes the new GM, uh, you know, likes the new team, and there's a small chance he stays, rather than, rather than asking him because you're not going to get anything for him anyway. But this tells me, like, they don't even think, I, I don't even feel like they think that, because if, if they did, if it was really about what was happening on the court, then I, I, I think that this would be a bigger deal, the fact that, I, that Isaiah is clearly uh, not healthy, and, you know, it's a question mark what, what's going to happen with him in the season. Like, I think the Cavaliers are a question mark. Not that they're going to, you know, not end up at the finals because they, they have LeBron and, and, you know, LeBron is a trump card. Who knows? But, like, I definitely, going into this next season, like, don't feel as good about them as I did this last season. Do you? All right. So let's let's dive into this then. Let's get into this part of the conversation now. We've we've discussed we discussed the trade in detail last week. The second round pick really doesn't do a whole lot, but the fact that it's official now. Do you look at Cleveland as the the still number one 
favorite team to go to the NBA Finals in the Eastern Conference? Or have the Celtics done enough to put them over the top? Because honestly, I'm starting to think that they have. And that LeBron is going to have an interesting time trying to carry a Cleveland team by himself when uh, they're going up against the Celtics who know how to defend Isaiah Thomas. I mean, so the thing is, is like, I want to say yes, right? I want, I want to say yes. And I, I was sort of ready to, to believe Cleveland was ready to go down last year uh, in the East. And it's not like Cleveland's unbeatable. They did lose to the Warriors. I think that they would have lost to the Rockets or Spurs last year. But on the other hand, it's like LeBron has already made, what, eight finals in a row in the East? So it's, it's hard for me to just write them off and say that they're yeah. not the table. But they, and especially because they demolished the Celtics again in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. I know the Celtics won that one game, but like, if you, if you, you know, that was sort of a moral victory. It, it yeah, like, but um, but this is what I'm saying. That was like a scrappy sort of type of team, and they they were really underdogs, even though they were the number one seed. And people, nobody thought that they could win. We're looking at LeBron and Kyrie Irving, but now flipping the script. I mean, not to say that Isaiah Thomas is. That much worse than Kyrie Irving, but I feel like the Celtics may may have they, may they may know the book on Isaiah here. They may be able to defend him. They're bigger themselves. They are more equipped to defend LeBron at this point. And you can argue that with me if you want. But Jay Crowder is not the answer to defending LeBron. And they also know how to take Jay Crowder out of a game as well. So to me, I just I feel like the Cavs are, are sort of giving up something here and they're building for the future with this trade more than trying to win right now, even though a healthy Isaiah Thomas keeps them as a finals contender. I think the Celtics may have grabbed the edge here. I mean, I love your Celtics related passion, but I, I'm just, I'm just curious because you sort of said it, said it twice in a row. What is a, what exactly – why do you think, like, the Celtics know how to defend all their old players so well? You said it about Isaiah. You said it about Jay Crowder. You're like, man, they know how to stop Isaiah. They know Listen, how to stop Jay Crowder. How do you know? Because they made those they guys better. Them. Honestly, Calvin, this is where I'm going to go green team on Brad Stevens. And it's it, – I, I have been saying for how many years on this show with you that coaching in the NBA matters. And people want to say that it doesn't matter. But coaching the NBA matters a lot. And I think that he brought more out of those two players than other coaches around the league will get out of them. So on the, on the flip side, since he knows how to be the most efficient or how to make them the most efficient player that they can be, he knows how to defend against that as well, I would, I would like to think. So, yes, I'm putting a lot of blind faith in the fact that, that Brad Stevens is going to be a master and a guru and figure out how to defend the guys that they just traded away uh, better than anybody else could. But I think it's, it's more because he had them and he, he made them great, greater players than they would be in other places. Not to say that Isaiah Thomas didn't do a lot on his own on the court. I'm not trying to take anything away from him personally, as far as his, his contribution, because he was incredible out there. And there are times where Stevens just stood back and let Isaiah do his thing. But I think that part of it is building that confidence in the players and just building, building that team. And I think that he's done it and he's made teams overachieve since he's gotten to Boston. 
regardless of what their final record was. So I'm putting a lot of faith in Stevens in this one, yes. You're not doing it, Isaiah Thomas, but it's kind of sounds like you are doing it, Jay Crowder. So basically, what, what you're doing is you're giving these guys the Jordan Crawford treatment. You're saying that what, once they leave, that like not only not only do Brad Stevens make them better players, but once they leave the the knowing wise arms of Brad Stevens, they're going to fall apart and, and revert back to the lesser players that they actually are. Then Brad Stevens will use his coaching magic, smoke and mirrors. Like uh, like Merlin to, to make these guys feel stupid basketball. <laughs> no, players. listen. I think they're gonna have good years. They will still be good players. They know how to do, how to like. Brad let them off into the wild. Now you see they'll they'll be fine. No, they're they they know how to perform well in the NBA. They figured that out on their own through time on the court. Uh, but I just I I feel like Isaiah specifically Isaiah is not gonna score as much when when he's playing with LeBron as the number two guy, just as, as, as Kyrie will probably score about the same because he's pretty much the number one scorer on the Celtics uh, along with Gordon Hayward at this point. So I don't think his stats are going to go down. I think Isaiah's stats will go down just because he's playing with LeBron James and Crowder just because he is not going to get as many minutes playing behind LeBron James his numbers are probably going to go down too, but they'll make the most of it as, as they can. But listen, I really do believe that players in this system over the past six years have left the system and not really been anything like they were when they were here. And we'll see what happens with some of these guys that, that Celtics fans fawned over or last year that have now left the team because there are plenty of them. But I, I just – I. I think that Stevens has put guys in the right spot, and he, he uses them efficiently. And I'm skeptical that they will have as successful seasons with Cleveland as they did in Boston. You know, I didn't even think about that until right now. Crowder really makes their lineups interesting. I'm interested to see what they do with him. I, I almost think about uh, starting Kevin Love at the five and just, and, and just play uh, – Crowder is the four and LeBron is the three. LeBron can guard small forwards. Crowder, is, you know, can play that small ball four and hit, and hit from the perimeter. And Kevin Love, can, you know, can can handle himself in the post defensively. So, I, but I don't think they will do that. I think they'll keep playing Thompson and Crowder will come off the bench. And you're probably right in terms of his production. But this um, this makes this makes me want to talk to you about just a general thought about NBA lineups and starting lineups and fluidity throughout a game, but I feel like we might be going down a rabbit hole here. Um, if you got so thought, quickly, go ahead, man. quickly if we, if you can, yeah. how do you feel about this? I feel like teams more often than not feel like they need to start a big athletic center at the beginning of the game. And throughout the flow of the game, they're going smaller. These guys like Aaron Baines get jobs because they're going to play 15, 20 minutes a game. But overall, they're really not they're, – they're only there to start the game. Why is that? Why do teams feel the need to start the big guy at center if you're not going to play that way throughout the course of a game? Like, you just illustrated a point with Cleveland that sort of feels the same way to me. It's, it's all related to attrition. Guys who play in small ball lineups, people don't realize that, like, playing in small ball lineups means that you have to, like, be in there grinding for rebounds, uh, often it gets if the other team plays a bigger guy. Look, it's, it's like, yeah, teams start going small, but there's only one team that's going to be the smallest. 
You know what I mean? There's still there's still relative big guys in in your small ball lineup. So if everyone's playing these small ball lineups, like that that just makes a, a smaller guy then bigger. You know what I mean? Like you're you're still there's still centers out there who is six ten and and can produce. There's still like you you can't you can't play like thirty six minutes uh, at the center position you, you, even if you're Draymond Green. If you're just gonna get worn down by that. Like the other guys, so I, I think that they play small ball lineups selectively to keep you guys fresh, especially like you know it, your Draymond Green types who are good enough to do it. But like you can't you can't physically do it the entire game consistently grind up against guys who are bigger than you. But you can do it for long enough stretches to hold your own on that end and then obliterate them on the other end. That's what it is. It's all minutes allocation. Fair enough. Stop. I mean, right. I think well, I, I'm still, but I still don't understand why. I mean, it may be a minute, minute's allocation, but why does it start that way? Why not start with a small ball lineup and bring the guy in? Is it just for the jump ball? Do they really? I mean, I just, I feel like the the only cookie cutter thing in the NBA at this point is the fact that big guys start at center, and then oftentimes I feel like they're taken out after five minutes and they don't see the floor again until the third quarter when they need to give a guy a breather or the beginning of the fourth quarter or something like that. So I'm just, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just, I feel like the league is going away from that. They've already tried to do it in the all-star game and eliminate the center position. And I just, I am curious to see when coaches start to, to just start the game small. Who cares about the opening tip? I don't know. Yeah, well, it also, yeah, it has to do with, obviously, what are the most important minutes, and the most important minutes in most games are near the end of the game, so uh, that has something to do with it, too. You know, you play play the center early on because you, you want your small ball lineup to close out the game. Anyway, uh, where are we here? We Let's let's just move on to the next thing. Uh, unless yeah. you have any more thoughts on this, you're good, right? No, I think that's good. I think we're good. We got good almost half an hour on the trade, and some good stuff yeah, there. So. Yeah. If, if anything, we went a little long on that, but it's all right. Yep. Um, so a couple weeks ago, I was concerned uh, about my Lakers and what was going to happen with this tampering situation. The Indiana Pacers, mm-hmm. uh, in a joke, yeah, in a joke of a move, fired a tampering charge against them. Uh, but it turns out that I, I needn't have worried, Ray, because everything's all right. Well, I guess everything doesn't matter, right? Because uh, uh, the Lakers were fined five hundred thousand uh, dollars. So wait, yeah, but hold on up. a second. Like, fine, the Lakers are, are going to pay a little bit of a fine, but you think everything's okay? That that your GM Rob Polinka was in touch with Paul George's agent and trying to get him to sign before he was allowed to do that? You think that's okay? Whoa, 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 whoa! Let's just reel that one back in, right? Uh. She did contact Paul George's agent, okay? But as, as, the NBA, as the NBA reported, there's no evidence that he tried to get Paul George to sign. Okay. You know, Bob Palenka, Bob Palenka, right? I don't know if you know this. He used to be an agent. Yeah. So, so what, what, was, what was the conversation? Why did, why did he get fined $500,000 just for contacting the agent? I'm sure he has other clients. He, he does have other clients, yes. But it's uh, yeah, it's because it's it, it's illegal to to uh, to talk to an agent. It, it, it's it's illegal to contact an agent for, that's representing a player in the NBA. 
if you are a general manager in the league. So the Lakers did not get fined because uh, they were attempting to sign Paul George. Or there's not even any evidence that uh, that they actually talked about Paul George. The only evidence that exists is that they had a meeting. Who knows what they talked about? Maybe they're all golf buddies. Maybe maybe they played tennis together. You know, maybe they just wanted to swap old agent stories. Right? We don't we don't know the answer to that question. Right, so but they you, got the so largest so, fine ever for something like this in the NBA. Right. Yeah, but, yeah, but you you know what they didn't they didn't get the Joe Smith treatment. There's no there's no Joe Smith situation here. Remember that story? Uh, I'm sure you do. I mean, it says hold on, hold on, hold uh, on. The, the league's announcement says that there was a expression of interest in the player while he was under contract. This is not just calling another uh, or calling an agent and saying, "Hey, want to go play some golf? Hey, let's go have some dinner." This is calling an agent and expressing interest for his client. That's what the league said. Not any, nothing more than that. So, yes, they right. specifically spoke about signing Paul George, or maybe the Lakers, or maybe the, the agent didn't say anything about that, but Polinka wanted Paul George and made it clear. That's what the league is finding you for, my friend. Right. Uh, how, how's Jelsa doing? I haven't heard of him in, in a while. Have, have you? That's called expressing interest in Nick Jelsa. Thank you. That's a one-man play. I just expressed interest in him. <laughs> you don't know the, the, the Lakers expressed interest in Paul George. That's great. That doesn't mean they tried to sign him. Or there was no, which the league came out and said there's no evidence that they actually recruited him. They just, they just want to know what's up with Paul George, what he's been up to this summer, how summer going, is he working out, is he in, in good shape, you know, keeping track of him, how's he like in Indiana. That's all. That's all, right? So I think that this is more. This more has more to do with Magic Johnson getting warned about his comments on Jimmy Kimmel, and then Palinka calling the agent and saying something about Paul George. Listen, the Lakers are, are line steppers right now. They are walking the tightrope, and they're assuming that Paul George is just going to walk over and sign with them. To that, I say, I hope that Oklahoma City makes a serious run in the playoffs this year, and the two of those guys decide to stay there and. Build, get built around down there in Oklahoma City, and the Lakers get screwed. That's what I hope. Wait, I, also, I also hope they have a lot of success in Oklahoma City. I hope they love each other. You know why? Because that means they're both coming here. I don't know. We're going to have money for two free agent contracts. Russell Westbrook, by the way, also from Los Angeles. <laughs> I don't know if you know that. Went to UCLA. He is from here yeah. as well. No, I, I know. I know. Yeah. I hope they love each other. Look, Russell Westbrook can play off guard in Los Angeles. Don't don't think Russell Westbrook can't play the two because he basically is the two. They can make more money in Oklahoma City though. Hmm. Hmm. He can make more money on the court in Oklahoma City. He can't make more money in Oklahoma City. Yeah. Yeah. And he has to live in Oklahoma City. (laughs) Anyway, this is true. Look, look. Here's the thing again. Like I said last time, Ray, it's like, uh, in all seriousness, of course the Lakers tampered. And I, I do feel like this fine is you're right. It's not because of Bob Palinka had a had a dinner with the, the agent of Paul George. I'm sure that happens all the time. Because, like we discussed last time, every team in the NBA tampers. I'm sure Bob Palinka will continue to have dinners with agents. I don't have a problem with that, and neither should you. It's fine. It basically feels like Magic Johnson opened his mouth publicly, made the NBA look bad. Like 
made everyone, clued in everyone to the fact that, yeah, you know what, these, these general managers are crossing the line all the time. So the NBA, uh, Indiana filed a complaint, and the NBA was then forced to look into it, despite the fact that they didn't want to. If they really wanted to punish the Lakers for this, they could have. You know, you, we can agree, you could, you could talk about the largest fine of all time, but come on, that's, that's, that's pocket change for the Lakers. It's, <laughs> the fact that, like, Potentially, it, re- it uh, really is. I just, I, yeah. I just went to look up and and see what their, what they say that their annual revenue is, and it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's billions. So, and billions, yeah. and billions. Um, yeah. So, so they, yeah, it, they, this they, is they, this is nothing for them. Yeah, but uh, the the like I said, the Joe Smith story. They they were fined like four first round picks. I think they ended up uh, losing, actually losing two after. Uh, they appealed, and then you, you know, uh, Kevin McHale got fired. Uh, Paul George could have been banned from joining the Lakers. There, there are a million things that, that I was concerned about, and now I'm not. I'm, I'm happy with this fine. They probably deserve it for running their mouth, or Magic running their mouth. And everybody's happy except people who hate the Lakers. So a few people are happy. So, yeah, $300 million annual revenue for the Lakers. That's a, that's a drop in the bucket, $500,000. But I've just decided, Calvin, I've got, an, I've got a yeah. new agenda. I have a new agenda now. This is what I want to happen. If, if the Lakers are going to get Russell Westbrook and Paul George, I want it to happen in a sign-and-trade for Lonzo Ball, and I want Lonzo Ball to get just dumped in the middle of nowhere playing for a terrible team. I don't care if there's a third, fourth team involved. That's what I want to happen because I want to see how LeVar handles that. Not Lonzo. Unfortunately, Lonzo is a victim of circumstance here. Uh, I want to see how LeVar Ball handles his his precious firstborn going to the middle of nowhere to play basketball in the NBA. Because I think that that, that, that guy is such a clown. He'd probably handle it by continuing to stay and live in Los Angeles would be my guess. But uh, I, I think it's pretty unlikely that uh, the Lakers do a sign-in trade for a guy on his rookie deal. Well, I don't think the math works out, but you never know. Uh, in any case, what is next? Uh, next is, yeah, so speaking of the Ball family, we'll just transition. Uh, LaMelo Ball, the youngest of, of the Ball kids, now has a, a, a big baller brand shoe. Uh hmm. Yeah, now, LeVar Ball was nice enough to uh, not charge the full 495 that he charges for the Lonzo Ball brand shoe. He's only charging 395 right, for, for the LaMelo Ball shoe. Now, the thing that's interesting to me about the story is LaMelo uh-huh. Ball, is he's a high school student. Yeah. He's a high school, uh, he's going into his junior year. So he's going to be in high school for two more years. And he's got his own shoe making him money. And LeVar Ball says that the, the only reason the, the uh, middle child, LeAngelo Ball, doesn't have a shoe is he's at UCLA, and the NCAA rules prevent mm. players from profiting off of uh, their name. And, and, but the answer is, like, no no one in high school has ever uh, – there's no rules about this in high school because high right. school kids don't ever profit off their – they're not usually famous enough to actually make a profit off their, off their gear. So LeVar says, like, hey, if he, if he goes to college and he can't play, so be it. Like, uh, he'll just work out and, and go right to the draft. What do you think about all this? Yeah, I mean, doesn't he have to go to college to get to the NBA at some point? So they're going to have to take away his revenue. 
LaMelo, that is, from the shoes for that year that he plays college ball, right? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure how. I mean, you how does that work? Work it out with the inst- that, this is what I don't get. If he's already making revenue before he gets there, like, okay, maybe do they cancel the shoe for the two years and it's fine? What if you, I don't, I don't, the MC, this is really, I, I forget this being a conversation about the balls. I just, I find this interesting as a conversation about the NCAA and how they work. You know what I mean? Like, you hate the, you don't like uh, LeVar Ball. That, that's fine. But, like, it's interesting to me that, like, that this is a, fa- it technically is a family business, even though, like, they are making their money off of, uh, you know, basketball. But in the sense of, like, they're really not even making their money off of basketball, right? They're making it, oh, except for Lonzo. The rest of them are just making their money off of LeVar's loud mouth. It's interesting to me that like, if you have another family business that just doesn't relate directly to your sport, and your family is rich. If you're a Johnny Manziel, you know, Texas oil family, and, and, you're, and you're driving around in a Ferrari, you know, when you're 16, it's cool, right? Everything that happens from then on is cool. But like, and, you know, the same thing in, in this case, it's like LaMelo Paul, he's not an NCAA athlete yet, right? He could already be rich by the time he turns 18. In fact, his family probably it will be there. They have a reality show on Facebook. Does that count? Huh. Can you not be on your reality like, <laughs> Is he going to have to stop being on that reality show when he's in college? Right? That's an interesting question because it's not, again, it's not directly related to basketball, even though it's tangentially related to basketball. But can you just, can you just argue that they shouldn't make any kind of living? Because because they're they're famous and that fame is, is related to basketball and therefore they're not allowed yeah, to do anything. The, NC, the NCAA has has some really strange rules. I don't know where that all fits into it, but I mean, the, the, ultimately the kid should be able to do whatever he wants. And I wish that the NBA instead of saying you have to go to college for a year, or maybe it is this way, and I'm just articulating it wrong, but I wish that they would just say you have to be out of high school for a year. Like the NFL says, you have to be out of college for three years before you go to the NFL. I wish no, the, the NBA would do NBA. something like that. It is. It is. It's exactly it like is. that. Brandon, All right. So maybe know, maybe he just sits out and <laughs> plays AAU ball or something for a year, and then goes to the NBA. Well, you remember Brandon Jennings went to Europe for a year because he didn't want to go to college. Emmanuel Mudiay went to China for a year because he didn't want to go to college. I I imagine that might end up happening because. I mean, I don't know how it's going to work with NCAA rules. This kid might have to go somewhere else and then and, and then try to sign with an NBA team. I'm, it sounds like LeVar is fine with that. I'm just not sure I'm cool with that. You know what I mean? Like, why shouldn't he be allowed to be making money now, I guess is where I'm at. Um, if he wants to go to college, then uh, he has to follow those rules. That's, I mean, But he's not in, he's not in college yet, though. That's the point that I'm making. Right, so they would have to find some sort of a loophole, and that they're making an early decision on on whether he is going to be able to go to college and or, or not if they're going to continue to make money off of this. So, so they've just—I yeah. mean—they've made the decision. That that's just the way it is. It's not—it's not a matter of whether he should be able to or not. If they are consciously making the decision to have him make money off of this stuff right now. And they're not going to do anything about it as far as taking away his his revenue next year. Then he's not going to college. Otherwise, they'll have they'll, they'll have they, they, he won't be eligible, right? He won't play. Yeah, I just I, I think that that the end like extending rules to time in which you're not at college 
intake process for college, at least. It, it, it's an offensive notion. Like the fact that you have to like cover your entire life by future NCAA guidelines, it, it bothers me. You know what I mean? I, I don't. I, I already have an issue with like players not you know making money anyway. But that's that's a separate conversation. But it's just like this kid has the opportunity to make money now. Um, I'm I'm glad he's saying screw the NCAA. Uh, he should be allowed to go to college, but if they if they want to hold up their stupid rules, then I'm I'm sure he'll be fine uh, going somewhere else. Who knows if he's a good enough basketball player to you know end up being a professional? It's way too early to say that. But if he is, then I then some team will find him. In like the more players skirt this this stupid NCAA system, the better. As far as I'm concerned, you know what should happen? Kobe should decide to go back to college or to go to college. He still has all his eligibility. He can go to college. You just go back and play at Duke right now. He's gonna. He, should, he wanted to play at Duke. <laughs> how how interested would you be in Duke season if Kobe just decided to join next year's Duke team? That'd be endlessly fascinating, wouldn't that? That would like, be pretty crazy. Age, I mean, he's he, yeah. he, he's eligible now, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Like at his age, how good would he be? It'd be such an interesting question, right? Would he be the best player in college basketball or not? It'd be. I'd, I'd huh. love to see it. Yeah, but unfortunately, we can't because. Um, because Kobe was in the NBA, so now he can never play college. Interesting thought. Interesting thought. Hmm. Yeah, now you're thinking anyway, about it, right? Would, I, yeah, I am thinking Kobe about it. I, I'm thinking college? about all the all the high school guys that, like Kevin Garnett. I mean, yeah. what if he went back to college? Then he'd be a beast. That's crazy. I, yeah, it would be. Yeah, it would be would. awesome. Would would he would he be a beast though? I don't know. That's that's a, that's the point that I'm making. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. At this point, he's he's getting kind of old. Um, anyway, we have 15 minutes left. What do you say we get some NFL over unders in here? Okay. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that fight, but uh, like I didn't see the fight. See What's wrong with you? Everybody saw that fight. I, I I didn't see the fight. I wasn't certainly wasn't going to pay 100 bucks for it. Didn't care to go find a place where I can see it for free. Eh. Didn't see the fight. I knew I knew what was going to happen, Calvin. I knew what the outcome was going to be, and it's that's that's what it was. I was not going to contribute my hard-earned money to the pit. Well, I'm look. I, I guess I can respect that. Or that was, come on, man, phone a friend. But my, yeah, and, and we did talk about the fight beforehand, and I said the the entire thing was a fraud, and Floyd Mayweather was going to win. But I, I will say this. So it, it was not the type of fraud that I expected, although, st- although still a fraud. I expected uh, Floyd Mayweather to do what he always does and sort of shell up and, and be defensive. But instead, he, he had another plan, knowing that Conor McGregor like, does not have the stamina of a boxer because he's not a boxer. Uh, he, he basically allowed uh, Conor McGregor to, to punch him for the first couple of rounds. Well, you know, not cleanly, really, but, but punch, punch him out. And then, you know, he, he beat up on him once he ran out of stamina, and the, which is fine. You know, great strategy, okay? It worked out well for him. He won the fight. But there are, a lot of, there are a lot of idiots who, like, think because Conor McGregor won the first couple of rounds uh, and, you know, Floyd didn't do what he normally does, that means that, like, McGregor had a chance or that he was in control early in the fight. When, when like, Mayweather did exactly what he planned to do, he just planned to do something different than he normally does. He won. He still won that fight really easily, and Conor McGregor did not have a chance. Do not be fooled. As, as do not expected. ask for a rematch. There's people out there saying that they should rematch, that the stoppage was too early. No, the stoppage is too early, 
when you swing back. If you get pinched, if you get punched in the face ten times in a row, Rui, okay, and you don't even put a glove up to defend your face, it doesn't matter if you're about to get knocked out or not. If you're not fighting back, you, you they're gonna stop the fight because they don't want you to get hurt. Yeah, he has no one but to blame but himself. There's no need for a rematch. That fight was never close. Do not be fooled, MMA fans. You guys are idiots. <laughs> All right. I couldn't have said it better myself because from the commentary that I saw and the couple of clips that I saw, Mayweather just did exactly what I expected him to do, which is why I didn't even need to watch it. All right, let's do a little... Uh, I'm, I'm going to go off the ESPN projected records because... Uh, unlike most of the projected records I found, this one's a little more fun. It's not just the same six division winners. Like almost everything I've seen has been like, oh, we're running back everything from last year. No, they have they have their own thing. They went game by game and sort of like figured out teams' records, you know, based on their schedule. So they really That's went. That's what all we out. used to try to do, and we used to always yeah. screw it up because we weren't calculated enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were we were too lazy to actually go through the schedule, so that's that's why it didn't work out for us. But anyway. Uh, we're going to go AFC this week. We'll do NFC next week. Right. Uh, let's let's do this as, as sort of like a list game format. Uh, there, there's one team predicted to go 12-4 and four, uh, this next season. Can you can you tell me what team do you think that might be in the AFC? Mm. We're doing AFC. Mm, the AFC, only, only one. one team predicted to go 12-4. and four. That's yeah. quite interesting. I mean, I would have to imagine it's somebody that that's be? coming out of nowhere that they probably – have not really performed that well in the past year. It's, it's the Pats. It's the Patriots. Go. Uh, no, it's the New York Jets. No, it is the Patriots. Uh, you, are, you are correct. Uh, how do you feel about the Patriots this year? 12-4, and four, they lost Edelman for the season. Are you worried about that? Do you think they'll go 12-4? and four? Do you like the over, the under? I guess you could just pick 12-4 and four if you want. Yeah, twelve and four is, seems like a good push, but uh, I don't know. I, I feel like they always find a find a way to get that win an, a little bit extra game, sort of beat Vegas. Uh, I'm, I'm going, I'm going 13 and three. I'm going to take the over, even though it, it could be a push. Um, but listen, Edelman is, is a tough, tough loss for them. That's not going to help anything. Obviously one of the best slot receivers in the entire league. He does a lot for the Patriots. He's, he does a lot in the locker room, but it seems to me that every year this team is prepared for one big injury. And if this is the one big injury, then they'll be fine and they will figure it out and they'll have next man up mentality and everything's going to work out. They've got some other receivers, Chris Hogan, Amendola, who have proven track records already. They just got Brandon Cooks. So he hopefully will step up and, and be a big threat for them. I think that right now they're still equipped to, to go 12 and four, 13 and three. And it's the next big injury that may happen in week five, six, seven, whatever, that would put them in a situation where I'd start to worry. So right now I still feel fine. Yeah, Edelman tearing his ACL means nothing to me, literally nothing. Hogan will step in and be like almost the exact same player. Uh, I I think until you tell me Tom Brady or Bill Belichick gets hurt, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to push. I'm going to go they will go 12-4. and four. Really? Teams predicted to go 11 and five. Let's see. They have they have them all together here. So they got one negative one two. They have three AFC teams going 11 and five. You want to take a crack? Three AFC teams going 11 and five. 
Um, all right, let's go. Let's go with uh, let's go with Pittsburgh. They do have the Pittsburgh Steelers going eleven and five. All right, uh, let's like go with. Uh, so Pittsburgh, uh, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna push on Pittsburgh. I think that they're that, that's that's a good pick. Eleven and five on Pittsburgh. Yeah, um, I agree. I like I like them eleven five too. I'm sorry. I, I, don't I just like I feel like they're always a solid team. They'll figure it out, and they're just they're going to be there. I'm going to go with Oakland, eleven and five. Oakland. Okay, and who's your third team? And uh, boy, Baltimore, Baltimore, the Baltimore Ravens, also from the AFC North, along with Pittsburgh. Let's let's go with Baltimore. Right, they have Pittsburgh, as we talked about, and then they have Kansas City and Tennessee going left Kansas and City and Tennessee? Wait, what? Yeah. Kansas City and Tennessee. That's what I'm telling you. ESPN's going their own way here. So I'm guessing you you like the undersent for Kansas City and Tennessee? Uh, I, well, so, yeah, I would go – Kansas City, I'm probably – I'm looking at, like, 10 wins, and Tennessee, I don't uh, – I don't really see them stay, taking that much of a step forward. So – I don't know where they're coming from with this one. But, yeah, I'm definitely going under on Tennessee. I'm going under on Tennessee, but only slightly. I think Tennessee goes 10-6 and six and wins that division. Because, like, Andrew Luck is hurt, right? That division is just weak. Andrew Luck is hurt. Houston has a new quarterback again, right? Uh, I think that defense will finally take a step back. Uh, I think that... Beyond that, like who's the other team? Jacksonville. They don't even. They're, they're about to bench Blake Bortles. Like that division is so winnable. Tennessee has a ball control offense that I like quite a bit. Uh, I think if if they you know Marietta cuts his turnovers down, I think ten and six is, is right about right, and they win the division. Kansas City. I don't know what they're thinking. Kansas City. They lost a bunch of people. Uh, I don't think they'll be as good as either Oakland or uh, Denver. ESPN talks about them going five and one last year against the AFC West. Yeah, that was last year. That that doesn't necessarily mean they'll run that back. I I think that they're you know, uh, Patrick Mahomes might start over Alex Smith. They're they're dealing with that issue, uh, quarterback controversy. Yeah, I think that, that Kansas City goes like nine and seven or eight and eight. So, um, anyway, they got three. Wait, teams. so oh, wait. so let's let's go back over this qu- quickly. That's the Patriots. I can't believe who they had at eleven. They have Pittsburgh. Kansas City, Pittsburgh, Tennessee. Kansas City. Yeah, those they have those those are your division winners in the AFC according to ESPN. Huh. Don't agree with any of those, sounds like. Except for Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, I like I like Pittsburgh. I do like Pittsburgh. They have, they I'm have confused three AFC Yeah. Go ahead. Three AFC teams going ten and six. Three AFC teams going ten and six. So I mean I I went with Oakland and that wasn't one, so right. I guess I'll go. With, I'll go with the Raiders uh, at, at ten and six. How about that? Yep. All right. Uh, I will. I will again go with Baltimore. Try that one again at ten and six. Nope. No, they're what are one they doing guess. to the Baltimore Ravens over the, over there? Uh, I don't really know what's happening with with those with those Ravens. Uh, I guess it's got to be Houston then, right? I mean, Houston or Denver. I, <laughs> They have, they have Denver, Oakland, and the Los Angeles Chargers all going ten and six. So they have what? the Chiefs going. They have the Chiefs going eleven and five, 
and the other three teams in the AFC West all going 10-6. and six. How is that possible? I, I mean, I'm guessing it must be possible because they, they did a game-by-game sort of uh, thing, but I don't think that's very likely. They, those teams would have to basically... Yeah, all go two and two against each other, and then listen. If, if if ESPN knows something, they should go to Las Vegas right now, and they should put a bet on the over on all of these teams because Vegas doesn't agree with them. So yeah, I like the Raiders to get to have a down year this year. By the way, I like the Raiders to go nine and seven, eight and eight. They lost some dudes on their defense, which I think was overrated anyway. Um, I. I don't think I don't know. I'm like the opposite of ESPN. I don't really like anyone in the AFC West. I I kind of like Denver, I guess, because the defense is so good. But that's about it. Denver. Well, and where I, are I they? San where are they going with this? There's not many teams left in the AFC. I mean, we're running out of teams, and they've got seven teams with ten or more wins. I don't. I don't. I don't get it. I don't understand. Yeah. Well, and, and then they have they have the Ravens and Bengals uh, with nine wins each, and in Houston with nine wins. And then, this, and then it's basically, let's just look at the rest of this here because we're hold on, uh, hold on, hold on. Baltimore, okay. Houston, and Cincinnati. That's, yeah, that's all, ten teams. There's, there, there, aren't there only sixteen teams in in, in uh, the AFC? There's six yeah, teams see. left. All of those teams have nine or more wins, and they're, so they're they're saying that only six teams in the AFC are going to go under five or five hundred or below. It's, I find that really yeah. hard to believe. You've got the Jets, you've got the Browns, you've got Buffalo and Jacksonville. That's four right there. Those teams are all under 500. And then who's left? Miami? Yeah, I'm just trying to do that. Now, now I'm doing the math here because they have nine teams in the NFC uh, that are nine and seven or better, right? Which we'll, we'll, we'll get into that in which next week. So how many teams did you count for the nine and seven? Ten. Ten. And so they have 19 of the NFL's 32 teams being 9-7 and seven or better. That seems pretty unlikely to me. New England, Pittsburgh, right? Kansas City, Tennessee, Oakland, Denver, Chargers, Baltimore, Houston, Cincinnati. That's 10. That's crazy. Yeah. And then, yeah, then they have nobody going 8-8. Eight and eight. They have the, the, the Colts and Dolphins going 7-9. and nine. And then... So- are they just going to feast on the on the Jets and the Browns? Like, do they have one win between them or something? The Jets, the Jets, Browns, and Jaguars uh, have the three worst, and I guess they're all in. To be fair, they're all in a different division, so they have all of those teams going four and twelve or three and thirteen. So I, I guess everyone's getting, you know, everyone except for the the AFC West teams who are all apparently dominant. Uh, the other two division winners are getting two. Two free wins, basically, each uh, against the Browns, Jaguars, and Jets, right? Yeah. See, I'd be, curious, yeah. I'd be curious to see what what uh, ESPN thinks about the, the bottom of the NFC. How do they feel about Washington? How do they feel about Chicago, San Francisco, and uh, the Rams? Are those teams all going to be horrible? Like, which, I, I want to know which team they think well, is going to be the worst because if they're giving the Jets three wins, I really don't understand well, what's going on. Well, it's funny that you say that, Ray, because in, in the NFC, they only have two teams going six and ten or worse. They they have uh, the Bears going six and ten, and the Niners at five and eleven. And uh, after that, it's uh it's the only the Rams at seven and nine, and then everybody else in the NFC they have going eight. And eight. Again, I guess this math must work out because 
they they did it game by game. So, so then are there going to be four division winners in the NFC that are nine and seven or something? I, I the, whew, something something's not four division winners, three division winners. Um, I just saw you know not to, not to give this game away for next week, but uh, they have one twelve and four NFC team. They have uh, let's see, do they have they have like three eleven and five <laughs> NFC teams? Then they have like two ten and six NFC teams. Something's not right here. ESPN fake news, fake news. Ninety seconds, yeah. Calvin. I, I guess we're just gonna have to end on that. We're ending right now. Ninety seconds, my ass. ESPN. No sense. All right. Well, I like the way you work it. Long button. <laughs> nice, nice and face. It did fit. What's that song? Goodbye, sir. We back on Tuesday Cause I'm pissed off for greatness Salt and laughter too. A scoop of kids to add the spice. A dash of love to make.